what a complex world we're living in, eh? And um, we've been talking about this the last few weeks as we're starting this new year, following Jesus as Lord together. And uh, just the complexity of all of the social commentary and conversations and decisions that those in power, in government in, and in other institutions are making that have flow-on impact in terms of how we do our daily life. And, um, and yet in the mix of it all, here we are trying to hear King Jesus and follow him and knowing that at times um, part of the complexity of our culture and our world that we're living in will go, actually, that, that's a really good thing that those Jesus people are saying and maybe we should shape social policy, we should shape our culture according to what those Jesus people are saying and doing, you know, that by their love the world would know. Um, And yet at the same time, by that same love, sometimes the world looks at the way we go about pursuing Jesus and says, uh, those guys have nothing to do with them. Let's lock them down, lock them up and put them away forever and they're a threat to the greater good of our culture. We we, we live, and and, and that experience is right there in the book, all the way through the book of Acts. It's, It's not a new experience for the people of Jesus. It just may be a little more acute and new for us. In a, in, a, in a nation and a time where there's a lots of cultural shift and change and decisions being made. And so it's in the midst of this, though, um, sometimes we can find ourselves feeling like, uh, what am I doing? How do I say anything without getting my head shot off these days in the public square? How do I have conversation over the dinner table with work colleagues and not feel like I've used the wrong trigger word to offend I mean, it's, it's complex now just to have a cup of coffee with somebody. Um, and, uh, and so there's all sorts of stuff like that. And it's in the midst of all of that, we as Jesus' people are called to bring the message and the ministry of the good news of God. And we're going to just talk about the simplicity of that again this morning. But um, just if you go to slide three for us, thanks, um, Isaac. So slide three, we're just talking about how, how sure are you feeling about navigating your world this year? Are you feeling um, a little inadequate about the challenges that are being presented to you and, and, and by, um, by our world? Uh, do you know what to say and how to answer that and, and uh, be brave enough to step into some of those conversation spaces with people where you know it's probably going to push the edges of their ability to love you back? Um, And are you even worn out a little bit by all of this? i got to say, as someone who's in the role that Nicole and I are in, we're always constantly being asked for comment. What's your thoughts on this? What's your response to this? What about this issue and that issue? And uh, and it's wearing and it's fatiguing and it's... uh, it's a challenge for us, but what I tell you what it does do is it constantly draws us back to Jesus and the simplicity of who he is in the midst of this complex world. And, um, and at the same time, the wisdom that Jesus offers is, is not necessarily the wisdom that's fashionably acceptable to the world. Um, you know, Jesus actually does give an equal opportunity invitation to everyone with regards to their sexual identity and gender identification, which is you lay down 
your life, you lay it all down. He, he, he makes that equal opportunity invitation to every human being, not just to one part of culture and community. He, he has this equal opportunity invitation to everyone, however they choose to self-identify. And he says, now lay that down and take on who I say you are. Now, that's not an easy invitation to the world at this moment, is it? It's not a fashionable wisdom or a fashionable invitation. And yet it's an equal opportunity invitation to everyone. Recently, we've been reading together 1 Corinthians chapter 2, haven't we, out of um, the message version. And I'm going to get you to pop that up on the screen for me there, Isaac. Um, And um, what we might do together, sorry, this is a bit crooked today. Anyways, hopefully you can hang with me there. But um, I I, I just feel like this is one of those scriptures where the Lord just keeps coming back and saying, read it again. Let the power of it wash over you. Let it begin to inform you again and transform you. So these are the words of Paul. And we're going to read this together out loud. Okay, So everyone... If you haven't got it on your phone, in the message version, it's on the screen, and I'm going to invite you all to read this with me, okay? So nice and loudly, let's read this together. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's sheer genius, um, I did not try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, and then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I was unsure how to go about this, and I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want to know the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you. Next slide. Thanks, mate. There we go. We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground. But it's not popular wisdom, the fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest. What God determined as the way to bring out his best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. The experts of our day haven't a clue about what this eternal plan is. If they had, they wouldn't have killed the master of the God-designed life on a cross. This scripture text, no one's ever seen or heard anything like this, never so much as imagined anything quite like it, what God has arranged for those who love him. But you've seen and heard it 
because God by his spirit has brought it all out into the open before you. The last few weeks, we've next slide, thanks uh, Isaac, we've been looking at the simple call to following Jesus as disciples of his and, and how in this year the Lord just says, hey, don't try and take the whole mountain in one jump, just take the next step in your relationship towards him, towards other people, towards gathering with Jesus as people and towards generosity, the generosity of his spirit upon your life. Next slide, thanks, Isaac. And we've also been touching on how Jesus invites us to learn to think like he thinks, to forgive like he forgives, to walk like he walks. And this morning I want to quickly touch on learning to love like he loves. There's this great account in uh, John chapter 13 where Jesus is gathering in this little room with his disciples and it's, uh, it's coming up to Passover time. And so what's happening is that the setting in John chapter 13 in particular is it's Passover time. And so all of the people of God uh, from Israel, they're all coming in from all over the, the nations and the then known lands. And they're coming together to remember how God set them free from Egypt and out from underneath the rule of Pharaoh and all of the gods of Egypt. So not just out from underneath the rule of a, a human being and his institution, and that human being called Pharaoh actually saw himself as a divine god as well. He was actually known as a son of God, which is an interesting phraseology that Jesus has now taken on to himself through the rest of the scriptures as the son of God. He's reclaimed that of Pharaoh. Uh, but then also all of the then gods. So you know how it was like every time they tried to leave Egypt, there was a swarm of this and, a, and an outbreak of that. And it, all of those ten plagues were the then known gods that were worshipped in Egypt at that time. And God was declaring himself to be the god over over all of these then-known gods and setting people free. So they're all coming together for this annual time together to feast together. And, and so Jesus hangs out with his disciples and they've been having this amazing kingdom story and of activity of seeing people healed and delivered of demons and thousands of people being fed with just little bits of resource and uh, of bread and fish and um, dead people coming alive and all sorts of amazing kingdom stuff where Jesus is now um, re-declaring to the world, I am the Son of God. And this is what the Son of God looks like. And not only is he saying this is what the Son of God looks like, he's also making a declaration to the world to say, this is what it means to be a fully healthy, functional human being in relationship with his creation and the created order and everyone in there. And so Jesus is doing this twofold thing all at the one time. And sometimes we read and we say, oh man, he's, that's all God. And then you go, wow, he's really human in that moment. And we connect with him deeply. And that's why he's, he's, he's both the son of God and the son of man at the same time. It's a real mystery and it's a hard one to reconcile sometimes, but it's in the midst of that that we see um, this great invitation. And then the, what happens is Jesus gets together with his disciples to have a meal. So, but instead of having Passover, 
He's now beginning a new meal, a meal that's going to be the meal of the community, of the people of the Spirit in the earth. No longer will it be just for the Jews, but it'll be for the Jews and the Gentiles. It'll be for the whole world, this meal. And so he gets to dinner with these guys and his disciples and in John chapter 13. And, 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 and as they're having dinner together, it becomes noticeable that actually they've, everyone's taken their place. Everyone's ready for the feed. And it becomes noticeable that something is not right about the moment. And Jesus sees what's not right in the moment. And what he does is he realises no one was there to greet them, to wash their feet on the way in. And so Jesus just goes and changes. Like he, he takes off his, the clothes of his day, he puts a towel around his waist, and then he takes the position, the lowest of lowest positions of a servant and begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, some of the guys in that moment, they're just like, they'll, they take it, they receive it. Peter, he's awesome. He's like, what the heck's going on here? You're, you're the, the, the son of God. Not a chance you're washing my feet. And, and then uh, he, Jesus has some words with him about that. And, um, and eventually he lets him wash his feet. And, and in the midst of it as well, there's um, Jesus... Jesus is really aware of the fact, and it says it here in John, John 13, that not only is Jesus present, not only is his disciples present, but so is a great spiritual contest. And he even says it. He says, the Satan, the devil, was right there. And Jesus was aware of all of this. It was a moment of great spiritual contest as well. And as we begin this year, I want us to... We, we, we traditionally think about learning to love like Jesus loves. We ultimately think about the cross. And that's right and good. But we, we, we need to just broaden that a little bit right now. Because in John chapter 13, when Jesus takes off his robes and he puts on a towel and he washes his disciples' feet, the scriptures, John actually says, in this moment, Jesus showed his disciples the great fullness and extent of his love for them. Now we, we, we readily accept that the cross is the fullness of the, of, of the love of Jesus for people. We, we, we get that. But in the same breath, Jesus takes on the lowest of lowly positions to wash feet. That one we struggle a bit with. How can someone so great be so lowly? We understand this because we, 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 we understand the cross because we go with sacrifice. We understand sacrifice. We go, we, we hold and esteem even all of those people in our nation through the years who have taken on the uniform to defend the greater good of our nation and they have sacrificed their lives. We get that. We, we connect with that easily. And we go, yes, we esteem this highly. But at the same breath, Jesus is reinterpreting greatness. Greatness. 
And then he says to his disciples, if, after he's washed their feet, he says, if you want to be anything like me and love like I love, do what I've just done to you. Do it to others. For real? Touching people's feet? It challenges stuff. But I want to talk about this morning how loving like Jesus, learning to love like Jesus, in John 13, verse 34, it says, a new commandment. So just on the back end of Jesus having washed their feet, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. And by this you'll know, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And at this point, he's not talking about loving like this, sacrificially. He's talking about loving like servants of God who will walk humbly and in the lowest posture because they understand that greatness is found at the feet, the feet of God and the feet of God's creation and the feet of people. Servant living. This year as you begin the journey, the Holy Spirit would be inviting you, I believe, and inviting me to love one another like Christ does. And you'll know in that John 13 scripture where Jesus steps into that room with his disciples, servants, greatness, or great servants of God, they notice what's missing. And they put themselves into that space, as awkward as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as challenging as it might be, they are the first ones to go, let me serve. I might not feel super called to that. I'm, that may not be my gifting. That not be my, I, I don't know if I've got grace for that. No, no, no. Just clearly Jesus says, if, if you want to be anything like me, do what I do. And where you see a gap, where you see a gap, and it's not a gap in your own life, it's a gap in the life of his people, where you see a gap, step into it and serve. Jesus' people notice the gaps and they step towards them. They humble themselves. Servant living. One of the little sayings that um, over the years my dad would always say, he would say it personally as he would meet with people, he would always say it to me as a son and he would always say it whenever he was given the chance to have a microphone. We don't give him that too much these days. (laughs) But he, he always would say, I want to have a what's-his-name ministry. A what's-his-name ministry. What he was trying to express in that little saying was that whenever people would meet with him, whatever context, be it in business, be it in kingdom ministry in a small group or serving the poor or preaching the gospel, whatever he was doing, his heart would be that people would never even remember his name but they would remember that guy that was like Jesus. See, that's what 
That's what Jesus is inviting us to. Greatness, where it's about the greatness of God being esteemed through our partnering with God by taking on the way of Jesus and serving. The Holy Spirit is renewing the church in this moment. Make no mistake about that. He is taking away the power of celebrity and he is restoring Jesus as the central, highest and the lasting conversation on the lips and the heart of his people. This year, as we begin our discipleship journey, learning to love like Jesus loves is to receive from God a grace to be able to see what the Father is doing in others. And then we're joining in. Servants. Servants stack chairs. Servants clean toilets. Servants sit and weep with those who are weeping. Servants celebrate for those who are in moments of great victory. Servant living is a daily life of intimate conversation and obedience to the Holy Spirit to make us more alive in Jesus. Even as Jesus said, I can only do what I see my Father doing. Let our experience be all about Jesus. Let the story of others who have encountered you and me be Jesus. And if we are unable to see what the Father is doing in others or where their need is, or what the greater need of our community here is, or even the greater need of the community of the Pine Rivers region and the Moreton Bay region. Our inability to see what the Father doing may just be a reflection of the reality that we're even unaware of what God's doing in our own life because we haven't taken the time to sit with God and sit at his feet. John 13, 14 says, Now that I've washed your feet, you should also wash one another's. I set for you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you. In other words, I love that little, very truly, I tell you. Whenever Jesus prefaces something he's about to say, that's like a highlighter. He's like, if you've forgotten everything else I've said up to this point, don't forget this. It's one of those. Very truly, I tell you. No servant is greater than their master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know this, you will be blessed if you do this. My life is not blessed. Start washing feet. That's a radical call in a culture at a time when no one wants to wash anyone's feet. Jesus' people have learnt to let Jesus love them. Peter's response to Jesus wanting to wash his feet was, no way, man, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus uses these words. He says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have nothing to do with me. You have completely missed the whole point. That's pretty hard words. Jesus is saying to Pete, if, if, if you don't let me love you, Peter, you have missed the big invitation of the kingdom of God for your life. 
The generosity of the Holy Spirit in this season is reaching in, even in the worship this morning, is reaching into our lives to have conversation in all sorts of manner of our parts of our life. And he's reaching towards us with the towel of Jesus to wash us clean. And if our first response is no, we've mi- we miss the kingdom. We miss the kingdom of God and then we go, oh, my life sucks. It's just not blessed. Well, stop saying no. Stop, it's just stop saying no to Jesus. Let him love you. Let him heal the hurt. Let him reach into the pain. Let him help you forgive. Let him help you begin to look at others like he does. Let Jesus love you. And Peter was like, <laughs> first it was a no. Jesus then says, hey, come on, mate. If you don't let me, you missed, you've missed the whole thing. He goes, well, wash all of me then. He goes, buddy, you've missed it again. You've, missed it. you've already had a bath. You've missed it again. You know, sometimes zeal, and that's what Pete was. He was zealous. He was so zealous for God. He got it wrong at both times, at both ends. He's zealous way for God got in the way of actually what God was doing in his very presence. Just keep your zeal for the Lord yielded to the Lord this year. Don't let it get in the way of the Lord. How do I let Jesus love me? Well, I have to intentionally prioritise my day. I have all of the authority and power to be able to organise my day I get to choose how I spend my day and what time I give to what, even as we all do. The saying that I don't have enough time is a reflection of our own inability to organise our own life in response to God. We're outsourcing the the day planner, (laughs) the invitations. Someone else will look after that for me. And then, oh, look at that, I don't have any time. Well, as I've intent, how do I let Jesus love me? I have intentionally had to learn how to prioritise my day and sit with God and open his word and listen to his spirit and then give thanks. I've just had to learn how to do that. So I do that in the morning. I do it at the start of the day. I go and find a little place in my house and my house gets busy really early Luke's up early these days, clanging around in the kitchen, and I have to put the headphones in, I put the pods in, get the worship music on, and I sit in my chair, and I go, God, I'm here to meet with you. I open the scriptures, Lord, I'm here to meet with you. I'm here to listen to you. Thank you. You guys can do this. It's not rocket science. It just means turning up. Just turn up. God's waiting. Hear the invitation to letting God have all of your fears, have all of your dreams, have all of your disappointments, your relationships, and trusting them into his care each and every day. The other thing I just want to point out this morning is this. Jesus' people live aware that relationships are fraught by the risk of betrayal. We just get it. 
We just get it. We understand it. We risk loving in the face of the risk of betrayal. It's interesting in John chapter 13 there, Jesus, is, he, he, he knew that the enemy was present in this most intimate moment with his disciples. And even in that moment, he then realises that Judas is about to betray him. And even he, he just still washes his feet. He feeds him. And then he whispers in his ear. And he says, Judas... Go and do quickly what you got to do. Jesus' people understand that relationships are fraught with the risk of betrayal. Now, betrayal is a very interesting word. Betrayal really, in its simplest form, means in, in that moment, Judas took back from Jesus what he had already given him, which was his life. He took it back from Jesus and he took it back unto himself. And then he chose to give that to another. That's what betrayal looks like. When people begin to take back from you what they've entrusted to you. And it was in that moment that there was some kind of spiritual dynamic um, authority for Satan to then enter Judas, which was interesting because he didn't enter him until after he had already betrayed Jesus. He was no doubt humming around setting it all up, setting up the infrastructure, setting up all of the reasons why and all of the invitation as to why you should step away from Jesus. But it was his, it was Judas's authority to be able to take that away from Jesus and give it to another. And it was only then that the enemy entered Judas. You guys have got a lot of say you guys have got a lot of say in who you give yourself to and who you take yourself away from. My encouragement to you as you start this year in your discipleship with Jesus is that at any moment and at any stage where you feel like you're wanting to take yourself out of relationship with Jesus and or his people, question it before you do it. Just question it. And when I say question it, go and sit down with some people that love you like Jesus does. Share with them what's going on for you. Don't hold it in the secrecy of your own self, but keep yourself open to the gift of God in the community of faith that he has placed you in. They'll love you through it and help you in, in the moment. So my question to us at the start of this year in that area is, where have we at times in our relationships towards Jesus and then towards others taken ourselves or taken back ourselves 
please have that conversation with Jesus this year and follow him. The last thing is this. Satan is always in the midst looking and working to derail the love of Jesus advancing in your relationships with the world and with his people. Always. Jesus told a parable about it, didn't he? You know, a farmer goes and sows his seed at night and then all of a sudden he realises the next day, oh, hang on, there's weeds and wheat growing in my field. Who sowed all this weed in here? I just sowed wheat. And it's interesting in that, even in that little parable, Jesus says the farmer, he had the wisdom to know to not to uproot anything until it was time for harvest. Now there's some strategy and wisdom behind all of that. But I just want to, one of the things that we've got to learn to become comfortable with as kingdom people, as learning to love like Jesus loves, there are going to be moments both in our own life, in the life of those that we love the most, in the life of those that we love as a community of Jesus' people. There are going to be some wonderful wheat that we see and there's going to be some weed that we see as well. Don't pull it out of each other. The king says, leave it alone until he can deal with it at harvest. Don't be judging. Don't be putting on the lens of, no, no, no. Look for what the father's doing. Partner with it and bless, bless those Because the enemy is constantly in the midst. He is constantly sowing spiritual contest. And Jesus is inviting us to take on the the role of our master himself and put the towel on and enter into those great spiritual contests and continue to live for the sake of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's learning to, to live and to love even when conflict rages. Learning to believe God for resurrection when it feels like crucifixion. Hello? Learning to believe God for appropriate resurrection when it feels like crucifixion. And learning to live in the hope of reconciliation and joy that Jesus does bring his kingdom. So this week, as you head out into your life in God, partnering with his, king, his kingdom work, love like Jesus loves. It's a servant life. It's a life where we let Jesus love us. It's a life where we risk love even though there is betrayal. And we realise that we get to love through the contest of the conflict for the greater inbreaking of the kingdom of God. That's what the Holy Spirit's calling you and me to as you start this year. Love like Jesus loves. Let's stand and pray.